Well, take your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. Ruth 1, in verse 19. Robert Jones, in his little book, Angry at God, shared the following account right on the very first page. Carolyn was confused. Ray's affair stunned her. Matters worsened when he refused to break off the relationship. The final blow, his decision to stay with the other woman, simply shattered Carolyn's life. Questions about Ray, the other woman, and what Carolyn should do flooded her thoughts. What was he thinking? How could he throw away our 14 years? Why her? How will I provide for myself? Will the divorce get ugly? As the initial shock gradually subsided, another tougher crop of questions slowly emerged. Where was God in all of this? How could a good Christian like Ray turn away from what he knew to be right? Think about that. Why should the Lord let the kids and me face such a nightmare? Is this what a good God does to his people? Carolyn was becoming angry at God, and she knew it. You know, being angry or bitter, which is anger under wraps, it's a grudge. Whether it be at God or people is not unusual in the lives of God's people. As they face suffering and difficult circumstances... Not just Carolyn, but we also have such a case right here in our text for today. And so I want us to read verses 19 to 22 together. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said... Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned. And with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. May God add his blessing to the reading of that small portion of Scripture. What we have here recorded is the remainder of the trip to Bethlehem. Mentioned here at the beginning of verse 19 and also summarized there in verse 22. Where it says, so Naomi returned and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. What started out as three women there headed for Bethlehem in verses 6 and 7 is now down to two. Naomi and Ruth. Orpah is out of the scene. 
The chapter here began with famine in the land. Verse 1, very significant. But it ends with food in the land. However, Naomi returned with a famine in her soul. As we observe there in the second half of verse 19 all the way through verse 21. Her trials from the hand of the Lord mentioned by her there in verse 13 had taken its toll and she was not responding very well. Her bitter experiences led to bitterness at God. You know, back in January of 1978, Marlene, my wife, lost her first husband to suicide, leaving her with three teenage children and lots of debt. You think she had questions? Oh, yeah. But shortly after that, she providentially heard a message from a pastor in Billings, Montana, who said that when you're faced with trials you can become bitter or better. Well, by the grace of God, she chose the latter. And all three of her children and myself as a young man observed this. Well, in our text for today, this was not the case for Naomi. But you want to know something? We can learn from her failure From these verses, I want you to consider with me three truths. Three truths concerning bitterness. And then I'm going to share with you some principles for overcoming bitterness. And I pray that the result will be you having a better soul for facing the difficulties of life. Whether they be directly from God or... Through other people. And the first truth that we capture is there in the second half of verse 19. And when they had come to Bethlehem, again, that's Naomi and Ruth, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? What do you notice here? What's the truth? It's simply this. Bitterness can change your countenance. Absolutely. Bitterness can change your countenance. As we just read there, the city of Bethlehem was stirred when they saw Naomi and Ruth. In other words, it was humming. It was buzzing with news that she and a Moabitess were in town, and Naomi was without her husband and two sons. What had happened? That's what the buzz was all about. Also, the women of the city were asking, is this Naomi? Not necessarily doubting her identity, but suggesting shock in how she had changed in her countenance. No doubt, 
her appearance would have changed over 10 years, right? Yeah. She's now older. But apparently it was significant. You see, given what we read there in verses 20 and 21, likely Naomi's face was carrying the hardships of her circumstances. You see, besides aging, she was depressed and downcast. Her heart had not been handling her situation very well, and it was impacting how she looked. That's why they said, is this Naomi? Yeah, her countenance had changed. And you know, beloved, this is not unusual. I've seen this many, many times. And likely you have too. By what you observe, there seems to be something wrong. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, write this down, it's a very familiar verse. Watch over your heart, guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. That is whatever is going on in your heart will come out, sometimes in your appearance but certainly in your words and actions. In fact, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The translation of the King James Version there in Matthew 12 and verse 34. And that is exactly what Naomi did in the following two verses. She revealed the condition of her heart by what she said. The point I want to make is that you can't hide bitterness. Maybe for a little while. But if it is stuck there, it's eventually going to come out. It will. It exposes itself. It's ugliness. And by the way, beloved, it does not please God. And so shepherd your heart with God's word when trials come or when people sin against you. Because if you're not careful, a root of bitterness will get established in your soul. It'll impact your countenance, either physically, spiritually, or both. In fact, it says in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, write this verse down, listen. The author says this, See to it, that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. And the context with which he was writing was with regards to Esau. Yeah, and his brother. A root of bitterness had developed in his heart. And we must be careful as well. It can crop on us all of a sudden without us realizing it. And then if we nurture it, it just festers more and more and more. It's ugly. Bitterness can change your countenance. It did Naomi in this passage of Scripture. That brings us to the next truth that I want you to see there in verses 20 and 21. 
she, that is Naomi, said to them, that is the women of the city, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? What is captured here? What truth? It's this. Bitterness leads to a discontent attitude. That's right. Bitterness leads to a discontent attitude. Now, I need to say this right up front. I don't want to make light of Naomi's situation here, okay? I don't even want to come across this morning as being uncompassionate to this situation. It was difficult and hard. No doubts about it. As I said before, to be a widow and childless in a Jewish culture was a serious thing. It was. However, Yahweh, God, loved and cared for her. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Yes, you should. I do. There's no doubt that we see it here in this passage of Scripture. As Naomi said here, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, has afflicted me. She believed this. And you want to know something? Her theology was right. And so she should have also trusted his purposes for her at that time and rested and waited upon the Lord. Really, that's the counsel that Isaiah gave. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, you're very familiar with that passage of Scripture. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And he's writing that after he gave great meditation to the one true God there in Isaiah 40. You see, as you meditate upon God, your attitude does change. It would be Yahweh God who would give her the strength she needed through the trial. I mean, by the way, she's calling Yahweh what? The Almighty. (laughs) Should I? And yet her bitter experience led to a bitter attitude. Do not call me Naomi. Pleasant, sweet one. Call me Mara. Bitter one. Why do you call me Naomi? She was very forthright to these women. Her attitude was discontent in Yahweh's plan for her. And it's evidenced in a couple of ways here in this passage of Scripture. Number one, she was ungrateful. Yeah. What does it say there in the first part of verse 21? I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. In other words, when I went to Moab, I had a husband and two sons. Now I am alone. Alone? Who has she been talking about in this passage? Yahweh God. She had him. He was in her presence. 
God gave her someone else. Ruth. The one who had recently come to faith. She had a hometown with old friends, likely welcoming her and willing to help her. And not only that, but the Lord had blessed His people with food. That's what it says there in verse 6. She had blessings, but was blind to them from an ungrateful heart. She couldn't see God's love and gracious care for her. She couldn't. Because bitterness was in her heart. She was nurturing that. And so she was unthankful. But second, Naomi was also accusatory here. That is, she was blaming God without taking responsibility for her own actions. She confessed there in verse 21, The Lord has witnessed, testified against me. In other words, He's being judicial. It appears that she understands that Yahweh might be holding her guilty for sin and chastening her for it. Yeah. That that's a possibility here. And so of, instead of pointing the finger at God alone, she should have also been blaming who? Herself. This kind of reminds me a little bit of Job with his own wife. He had lost all of his possessions. And then in chapter 2, he loses his health, boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. What does he say in Job 2, 9 to 10? His wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all of this, God did not, Job did not sin with his lips. Yeah. That was his response. He was worshiping God in the midst of this. Beloved, when God's people have a bitter spirit, it is usually accompanied by these two attitudes. Ungratefulness and blaming God. Well, the way to turn this from a bitter spirit to a better spirit is to first of all acknowledge your sin and to seek contentment in the Lord. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12, holding your space here in Ruth. 2 Corinthians 12. Again, another familiar passage of Scripture. Starting with verse 7. Paul writes, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, that which he spoke to there in the first six verses. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. That verb there is in the passive. 
In other words, it was not through him, but through whom? God brought this thorn in the flesh. And he used Satan, a messenger of Satan, to do such. Verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might lead me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distressions, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, God was teaching him contentment through his trial. In fact, another good cross-reference passage for that text is there in Philippians 4, 10 to 13, where it says twice, I learned, I learned. He learned how to be content through his trials. And what was the contentment? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yeah, that's what God wants us to learn. That our contentment is in him, not in people or things around us, they're going to fall short, but not God. Bitterness can change your countenance. It can lead to a discontent attitude. We see that in Naomi. But there's something else here. This leads us to the final truth. And it's there in verse 22. So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. What do you see there? What truth? It's simply this. Bitterness must give way to hope. Yeah. Bitterness must give way to hope. Hope in who? Yeah. God. The picture of hope in this verse is that Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. They had left Moab because Naomi had heard that the Lord had visited or graciously came to the aid of his people in giving them food. They had providentially arrived at the time of harvest. The spring of the year when there would have been rejoicing and praise to Yahweh for his goodness and mercy. Think about that. Why did a famine come upon the land, as we saw there in verse 1? Because of their sin, the, the nation's sin, the law of the blessings and cursings. And now she heard that God had visited his people with food, and they providentially arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Wow. How wonderful. And so these two women were catching the wave, so to speak, when they could get settled and supplied with plenty of food. You see, Naomi's eyes were now seeing what she had heard. I mean, this should have given her hope, a, a, a glimmer of light. In the midst of her loss and darkness, 
But you know, the author does not give us an indication one way or the other. Maybe there was, but we're not for sure of that. But she has a lot to be thankful for, right? She knows God. She has Ruth. She has a city that's welcoming her. There's food, and she's in her homeland. Oh, wow. The beginning of something good. And the author is preparing us for that. He is. Earlier, Naomi had prayed for both Orpah and Ruth that the Lord would deal kindly with them, show them kessed, loving kindness. He did that. She did that there in verse 8. Now she's the one who's receiving what? The loving kindness of the Lord. And so this should have been very hopeful for her. I want you to look with me, if you would, at what Jeremiah said in Lamentations. Turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. You're familiar with this text of Scripture. Lamentations chapter 3. I want you to understand that Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. What is he weeping about? Yeah, Judah has gone into exile. But he's dwelling upon Yahweh God. I want you to notice what it says there in Lamentations 3, beginning with verses 20 through 23. Surely... My soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's saying this as he's speaking about Judah who is in exile. He doesn't stop. Look at verses 31 and 32. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if He causes grief, then He will have compassion according to His abundant loving kindness. Verses 37 and 38. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Wow. In fact, I want you to listen to what he mentioned earlier in Jeremiah 29 in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So many times we as Christians apply that wrongly. We take it out of its context. But Jeremiah is speaking to the nation of Judah In exile, he knows that in 70 years, this is going to be over with and God is going to bring his people back. There's a future. All in the plan of God. Something that's hopeful. And so, even though Naomi did not realize it at the moment, there was a bright hope for her and Ruth. There was. You know what her problem was? 
She had her theology right. She just wasn't applying it. Can that be us at times? We got it all down theologically. But then when we go through tough times, it's like it goes out the window. You know why? Because we're hanging on to what we want and not what God has planned for us. Even when it's when people hurt us. Yeah. Kind of like Carolyn in this story or what my wife experienced. Beloved, the same is true for God's people. His word says in Romans 8.28 that he causes some things, all things, to work together for good. That kind of hope should give your heart eyes to see beyond your circumstances and rejoice in what he is doing and will do. Because when you go to Romans 8 and 28, we often stop there. But what is the good that he's doing? What does verse 29 tell us? He's conforming us to the image of his son. He's preparing us for eternity. Why? Because this life is just a vapor. It's here for a little while and then it vanishes away. He's preparing us for the eternal through all that's going on in our lives. But are we holding on to things when he might be trying to strip them away? Understand, those are idols in our hearts. And he wants worship alone. Well, this brings me to some principles for helping you and I. And you notice I mentioned I. (laughs) For overcoming bitterness. Well, I've been examining all my heart throughout this week. Yes. It can easily settle into bitterness over things. Crop into my heart without me realizing it. And then all of a sudden I'm going, what? What's going on here? This needs to change. needs to turn around. So what are some principles? And some of these I have already suggested. And you've heard some of these things before, but we need to hear them again, don't we? Yeah. Number one, it has to start with this. Repent of bitterness. Repent of bitterness. As Christians, we can repent, right? Why? Because we have repented before the Lord in salvation. And so we can repent over sin that does crop into our lives. Don't let bitterness fester in your soul. Become like a boil. It's ugly. What does Proverbs 28:13 tell us? He who covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have what? Mercy. Yeah, mercy. Repent of bitterness. Number 2. Be ready to forgive others who hurt you. People are going to hurt you. Oh, yes. Often when bitter, you want to hold on to grudges rather than seeking or pursuing peace. It's like we just want to be in a pity party. Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. That was read this morning in our scripture reading. What does it say there? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Beloved, that's the heart of the gospel. It's reconciliation. You've heard me say this before. But you and I have hurt God far more than any person will ever hurt you. And yet when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, He sought you out. Put peace upon your heart and you were reconciled to Him. You say that you're a Christian. The heart of the gospel is what? Forgiveness, reconciliation. Yes, people will hurt you. But don't hold a grudge. Have a heart that's ready and willing to forgive at any moment. Number three, reject the temptation to blame God. Robert Jones in his book puts it this way, to cast aspersions on his character or purposes. There is a temptation to do that very thing. But I love what James said in James 4, 6, and 7, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Yeah. Reject the temptation to blame God. Number four, submit to the Lord's chastening. Hmm? Yeah. Submit to the Lord's chastening. Naomi acknowledged there in verse 21, the Lord has witnessed against me. It should have led her to examine her heart and embrace her circumstances as possibly the Lord's loving discipline to teach and to correct her. Yeah. But she was only pointing the finger at God. She wasn't pointing it also back to herself like she should have. In fact, holding your space here in Ruth, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 6 and 7. Hebrews 12, 6 and 7. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now read with me also what it says there in verses 10 and 11. For they, that is our fathers, disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he, that is God, disciplines us for our good, so that we may what? Share in his holiness. We were talking, or should say, singing this morning about what? Our holy God. <laughs> Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Amen and amen. Submit to the Lord's chastening. Yeah, He wants you to be holy as He is holy. Think about that. Number five, reflect upon the character of God through his word. Reflect on the character of God through his word. This is sort of like preventive maintenance. Yeah. 
as you think about God's love and meditate upon it through his word, his goodness, his sovereignty, his wisdom, I will tell you now, you will come to trust him. I love what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. A good resource to help you in this is, is uh, Bridges' book, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. Yeah. Trusting God. We're doing that for my Bible study. Did it 17 years ago and we're coming back to it again. And all Bridges does is he meditates upon the love of of God, the sovereignty of God in the wisdom of God. And when you read all of what the scriptures say concerning that, at the end, you're sort of kind of like in a corner saying, why aren't I trusting the Lord? No matter what comes my way, tough difficulties, suffering, being hurt by others. We've been meditating, nurturing our soul with truth about God. Lord willing, turning that heart around. Finally, there's one other thing I want to share, and that is be thankful for all things. <laughs> yeah, to be thankful for all things. Even in difficult times, you are a blessed people, right? Yeah. Naomi was a blessed person, even in her difficult times. As it says there at the end of verse 22, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Yeah. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. In everything, not some things, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Be thankful for all things. Wow. Because if we're not, we're not living in God's will. Now I realize that what I've just shared is easier said than done. Yeah. But beloved, you and I as Christians have everything necessary for life and godliness, right? If we claim to be Christians, we have what we need to be what God wants us to be. His word has promised us that. Second Peter 1, 3. He's given us everything necessary for life and godliness. What a blessing that is. He'll be with us through those tough times. And he'll carry us on the other side. He truly will. And so as you consider these principles, along with the truths about bitterness from this text, my prayer is that you will have a better soul for the glory of God. May God bless you in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And what a blessing it is to just look at this passage and see what it has to say about bitterness. God, we know that as your children, this kind of attitude can change in our hearts because we know you. And so I pray that your people today will just examine their hearts and be reminded of who they are, that the gospel has reached their souls. And now they can have a new outlook on life, no matter what they are facing. And instead of being bitter, over their suffering and circumstances, they can be better because, God, you're preparing them for eternity. Remind your people of that today, throughout this week and the months ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.